This is Kimberly Rice, and you are tuned into the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show, the groundbreaking podcast for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career, business, and life of their dreams by charting their own course. We want to welcome you, Daryl, to our Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings podcast, um, a, a marketing platform for KLA Marketing Associates, um, wherein we welcome uh, recognized experts to discuss timely, topical, and relevant topics um, for the professional services providers today. And I'm so excited to welcome Daryl Cross who is um, really, uh, his reputation precedes him um, in um, every continent, I think I read that he has uh, worked with law firms and lawyers on high performance and leadership development. So welcome this morning, Daryl. Well, thank you so much. I have two continents to go. No, no big plan for Antarctica, but <laughs> hoping to hit Africa sometime soon. Oh, you. Uh, so what are the two continents remaining? Yeah, Africa's one. I'm planning to hit that next year. Uh, and then some way I've got to set my foot on Antarctica and give some talk to some team about something and I can cross <laughs> those off the old bucket list. Oh, you know, get, get, get it off the bucket list. That's right. Um, interestingly, I, um, my husband and I were on a, um, a river cruise back in September. We met several couples um, older than us. They were retired. Um, and I say that as a distinction because they have the time to do this. But both of them had visited Antarctica and said, you absolutely must do it. Um, and so I'm like, well, the next time I have like a month to, that I don't have any obligations, I'll be right on that. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Always a new thing. Pretty hard to duplicate that one. <laughs> so it's so great to chat with you today. But before we kind of jump into our topic of um, developing high performance teams and, and the, the fascinating work that you do. Uh, why don't you share with our listeners, if you would, a bit about yourself, your professional passion, and a few insights um, of your professional journey. Sure. Well, I, and I appreciate you talking to me about it because it is a passion of mine. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's something that's flowed across a bunch of different industries. Um, I have always been involved as a coach and with teams, uh, both on the business and the athletic level. Uh, I am a rugby coach. I've been one for a very long time. I've worked everything from world-class level athletes all the way down to youth rugby on mm -hmm. those levels. Um, and it's funny how that a lot of it translates over to high-performance business professionals too. So mm -hmm. I've worked uh, for over 20 years in the legal industry and with corporations as well, serving in-house in a law firm as a chief marketing officer, but also serving as vice president of performance development and coaching at LexisNexis, uh, training all of our internal staff as well as tens of thousands of customers in our uh, law firms, academic, corporate legal departments, uh, a lot of work with practice management. And so really our background is how do we get the best performance out of people who are already great at what they do, but if they actually can do better team dynamics and team performance, the raise of that level is exponential. Uh, we actually did and published a book last year in uh, May of last year about high performance teams. And we went and studied folks at NASA, astronauts down there, Navy SEALs, fighter pilots, uh, 
police officers, firefighters, professional athletes, all of those Hmm. have found all these common denominators between great performers, either in business, in sport, in medicine, and their reliance on teams and coaches to get there, not as individuals at all. That was not a common thread at all. And so Mm. we've just become really passionate about applying that to the work we do for law firms and corporations. That is so fascinating. So can you share with us what a couple of the common threads are of these high performance teams? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we went and talked to some of these astronauts at NASA and just watched them crawl around their simulators or talking to Navy SEALs or talking to these surgeons and fighter pilots. Every single one of them rated themselves as slightly above average at what they do. Very humble. Um, And they also pointed out the fact that they could always tell when someone was new and they weren't going to make it. And there Mm. were people that thought they were superstars and they didn't need help from anybody, from coaches, from trainers, from teammates. And the common thread that we saw was that the teams themselves are what pushed performers to do better. They kept them competitive. Um, they were willing to learn, but they were also willing to offload what they didn't know to mm. other people so they could focus on their strengths, trust right. that other people would do the other part for them, and then combine their better than they would have been separately. And we found that is the major differentiator, that lack of trust and saying, I have to do it all myself. You mm-hmm. will never, ever reach your potential that way. And these professions have learned it. So we just try to bring it over to other places as well. Wow, that is so incredible. Um, so <clears throat> I'm sure that this goes back. I mean, um, you, you've been in this type of work for over 20 years. Um, so share with us what led you down this professional path. I mean, oftentimes it's not linear, um, but, um, you know, to, I In fact, I just last night had the great pleasure of spending an evening with Miss Michelle Obama. Wow. And she was at the Wells Fargo Center here in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, of course, you leave with a whole bucket full of inspiration. I uh, invited one of my mentees to come along. She's a 19-year-old college student. And I really wanted to see Michelle through her eyes because I've watched a lot of and seen a lot of Michelle, but, you know, we don't get to where we are right now. You know, that's the whole con the whole concept of becoming, which is the name of Michelle's book. It is an evolution. So I'm curious what up to this point has been your professional evolution to have landed you right here, right now. <laughs> well, it is certainly not a linear path as it never is. It's more like hopping from lily pad to lily pad as they are slowly either sinking or being crowded with other frogs. Um, is usually <laughs> what it happens. But it, but it wasn't. Actually, um, when I um, got out of college as a political science major, I had no idea I was going to be doing some of the things I did. But one thing I did know was coaching and training uh, yeah. on the athletic side. And and I've been a certified trainer, a personal trainer, since I was very young. And um, right now I'm one of only 150 master trainers in the world certified by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And so that was my baseline. Okay. And I went into corporate after that and said, oh, corporate training, corporate wellness, things like that could be great. So that's where it started. I started working with medical professionals, some of the very smartest, hardest working type A, sometimes hard to deal with people in the world, um, Mm -hmm. arguing with the hospitals and the nurses and the policies, 
because they just wanted to do what they did best. And I got uh, grabbed by a recruiter to do it for law firms. And they said, oh, doctors, lawyers, same thing. Eh, not really, but there are <laughs> some similarities. But what I noticed is this consistent theme was top professionals, great at what they do, uh, have been that way since they were five years old, whether that's athletics, medicine, law, business, whatever. And there's a tendency to want to do it all themselves because they're so high performance, they don't feel like they can take their foot off the accelerator for a second. And mm. so, you know, whether I was moving from athletic performance to these major hospital corporations, to major law firms, to Fortune 500 country companies, I saw the same thing over and over again. And so I had the pleasure when I was, um, you know, vice president of performance development at LexisNexis to be able to train with a publicly traded corporation. And one of the things that we found along the way is we were training people incorrectly. We were training them as individuals, going against everything I'd known and all the research that was out there. Sit people in there, you give them some information, then you send them back to their office and say, figure it out. And then once a year, yell at them or praise them during their reviews. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in any profession that way, but we insist on doing it that way. So by putting people into teams, and the other thing that we noticed was that managers and vice presidents or leaders of practice groups were never getting any training. That's right. a long time ago. They were just relying on what they knew how to do before. And right. so when we saw people start to top out, we said, maybe it's a leadership issue. So we start training practice group leaders and client team leaders and industry team leaders how to get more out of their people, but also how to build better teams. And then all of a sudden, everybody's performance level goes up, even though they were already great before. So those were the kind of the big things we saw, but it was because of combining all these different viewpoints and approaches and seeing the best of other industries and just applying those principles that have already been proven to this environment. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just so, it's just so informative how I'm sure, you know, crossing industries and business practices and bringing it into the law. And that of course is the primary um, focus of, of my career. And now my business um, for 10 years is law, primarily professional services firms, um, you know, in, in alignment with that. Um, and I'm, as I'm hearing you speak about these high performance individuals, high achievers, um, real go-getters in the law, um, and how they really don't feel like they can take their foot off the accelerator to, um, align themselves in a team environment, you know, speaking specifically to the law, what do you feel like, um, you know, what, what are the barriers that you have seen that you can break or move past in that environment with those, that particular industry? Well, so this is a particularly personal passion of mine because we, you know, you and I have been in this industry for a while. We know these people personally. Mm -hmm. They are burning themselves to a crisp doing it this way by themselves. Mm -hmm. More hours, more challenges. And the fact is that no individual lawyer, I don't care how good they are, or, or business professional in a marketing role either, or, or finance, whatever it is, cannot keep up with all the artificial intelligence and changes in fees, new demands and hourly demands. They also have to have a life with their families, their friends, mental well-being. And that's why so many of them turn to the substance abuse and yes. dysfunctional relationships. And it is not fair 
to expect individuals to produce at this level, at this speed, in this time of our society. No way. It has to stop. Right. And the biggest barriers that we see, we talk about culture. Our culture doesn't support teams. Our comp system doesn't support teams. And it's a, sorry, it's a bunch of garbage. It's a yeah. trust issue. Yes. Trust is the issue. And when you talk to astronauts, the level of trust that has to be established to make sure everybody does their job and doesn't have to double and triple check everybody and they can rely on each other is why the teams work. The same thing with surgeons who can reach their hand back and expect the right tool, the right scalpel to be put in their hand without double and triple checking it. That has to happen. But mm. in a law firm, if everybody is double and triple checking everything or doesn't trust people will cross sell or talk to their client properly, it doesn't work. And so mm. what happens is we have to compensate people to trust and they don't. The culture is bad because of that. What we have to do is deal with getting trust between people that will change the culture and our comp system will reflect it, not the other way around, which is what most commonly done. And so what we have found is building teams requires time, but also demonstrations of competency. And so one way to do that for law firms is go back to what they did in law school, mock trial, moot court, simulations of real events and to see how people perform under pressure in teams, builds confidence, demonstrates competency, and builds trust. And if we started doing that more on a day-to-day -day basis with practicing business simulations, client engagements, uh, how we do the work, how we deal with hard situations with teams, individuals to start to trust each other, that's what we apply to be able to do it in law to break down that number one issue, which is a trust barrier. And what are the metrics for that? Well, it's improvement of how well we do on those systems. So for, for, first of all, um, when you first start testing someone to be a pilot, for example, um, the basic thing they need to know is how to land the plane. So they go up and they don't do it in a real plane at first. They may do it in a simulator or with someone next to them to help them through it. You have to guide them through it. And once they can land that plane, then you do make it a little bit harder. You do it at night. You do it with a bigger plane. You do it a little weather conditions, whatever, but you slowly progress that up. And we have found the same thing you want to do with law firms and lawyers, put them in simulated business situations where they are discussing with a client a challenge on their pricing or their diversity policy at their firm, or I'm unhappy with the service and see how they deal with it. Then you debrief them, train them, and then have them do it again. And as they do these individually and as teams, you will watch them be able to progressively get better at harder and harder situations. So I saw a advertisement recently for a Boeing that readiness is the only metric that matters. And so that's what it is. Are they ready to handle a real situation? And then once they are, we move it up and make it harder. And that's the metric. Are they ready? Mm. And how many um, firms have you worked with in the professional services realms um, that you get to, uh, to that crescendo or that, that peak uh, of readiness? Well, there, as we know, with all law firms, some are better than others. Some want to try to yes. do it in a day. Yes. Work in a day, just like learning you piano. Hey, Daryl, what, what are you, slacker? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, it's really funny that we're in an industry that requires people to go through three years of school 
and just basically get mentally challenged every day, 18 hours a day for three years. But for something like this, eh, I should take a two hour workshop. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absurd. And of course, it's not going to work. We can give people basic proficiency in a short amount of time. Yeah. But one of the biggest things that we also saw with these teams and performers is this reliance on deliberate practice. And I don't care if you're practicing piano, your golf shot, business development, or doing major litigation. Without deliberate practice of these fundamental skills, reinforced by simulations and a little bit of competition, it doesn't stick. And even mm -hmm. if it did, they're falling behind as the market changes. And that right. natural atrophy of skills occurs with any of this. So we have worked with dozens of law firms and dozens of corporations about this uh, mm -hmm. over the course of the last probably 10 years in these general principles of making teams better with law firms. I, I've visited over 500 law firms. I would say a fraction of them, less than 25%, will commit to the ongoing deliberate practice and simulation necessary to become great at it. But those mm -hmm. that do, it's just a, it's a mindset that we yeah. are never done. There will always be a new competitive or client challenge that we must prepare for. And those are the firms that seem to consistently do better in everything they do, not just this. <laughs> you know, it's, <clears throat> as you're speaking, it's, it's like we're kind of echoing some of the same um, language um, in our work with business development training and one-on-one -on -one coaching throughout law firms in the country. Um, you know, we see the same things over and over again, um, that they are, they, that they, the attorneys so don't know what they don't know. Um, they're so tethered to that billable hour requirement that everything else becomes like white noise. Um, and it's so counterproductive um, and they don't even know that. Well, you know, I, I, I feel for them. I, I think sometimes what we ask law firms and lawyers to do is unfair. Um, we yeah. want them to deal with winning business at Fortune 500 companies or these huge businesses and do it three hours a week. Um, and you're probably going to win a piece of business maybe two or three times a year. How do you get right. good at anything that way? But it, right. it reinforces the need for daily practice. Daily, yes. Re regular simulations. I mean, in a practice group meeting, I think every practice group leader should start a meeting with a five to seven sim simulation, five to seven minute simulation of a client event that could happen uh, with a real client. Uh, mm -hmm. Our top client merged and the GC left. What do we do? Right. Our, you know, client called us and they want a 20% discount because one of our biggest competitors is offering them that. What do we do? We can right. do these anytime because those are practice for the real things that could happen and keeps our skills up. But with business development, business development is hard. And I think a lot of our lawyers don't like it because they don't get the repetitions to get good at it. But right. if you give them more repetitions, more practice, they will be better at it and they won't hate it as much because it's like anything else. Why would they be good at it if they don't do it very often? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I'm curious as <clears throat> um, in, in all of the paths that you've been down in, and it's certainly, you know, like my career, it's been an evolution and it has been a really a foundational building process. What do you feel like and, and what have you seen through all of your field experience that you would um, merit best practices 
um, that can integrate that that business people lawyers can integrate into their workday to reach peak performance. You know, a lot of the things that they do to prepare for their work. Um, you know, let's say I, I think litigation has really good examples of that because there is a process to it. Um, there is a process, but still an art to it. So think about how a lawyer would prepare for litigation. They would do um, due diligence on, on, on what the matter is. They would do discovery. Um, they would come up with the ideas and, um, you know, what does this mean and have a natural curiosity about it. They can apply that towards business development, too, and then put together um, some some options. We might do it this way. We might do it this way. If the witness says this, we'll say that. If the witness says that, we'll do it differently and come up with different options, make an argument, close it. I mean, that's how business development works. And so I think a lot of lawyers already have those skills. So one of the best practices, no matter what it is, is to go back to what you already know. Um, and with lawyers, that's practicing law. So how do we craft their expectations of practice and rehearsal and simulation and process? Take that model and make it to whatever else they do. They do. Because you know what? If you were learning how to play piano, you do the same thing. You would right. research it a little bit. What is the best process? Let me practice these scales. Let me have some challenging things to do. Let me do a recital. And then let me make it harder next time. And that's how I get better. Right. That process of improvement works for everything. And if you want to make it better and accelerate it, have other two people rely on you like in a band for music or in business development with business development teams because we can go hide in our office and pretend like we're too busy to do this. But if I have two of my colleagues that are relying on me to help close this deal in business development, I will perform better because of that. Right. So it's a, it's a secret sauce, a secret recipe is relying oh. on teams to accelerate individual performance. Um, <laughs> um, and that is so contradictory to how lawyers are trained in law school. Would you agree? I do, until the fact when you look at the point that whether they like it or not, they rely on teams all the time. There's very right. few lawyers that I know of that yes. uh, write all their own briefs and then Ugh. walk down the street and file them with the clerk and wow. then go in there and not only do this argument, but that argument, but serve as their own second and third chair and a paralegal and this. And they're like, oh, those kind of teams. Yeah, those are <laughs> teams, too. What we see, yeah. what lawyers have problems with is teams of peers, Right. That's the difference. They have no problem with subordinates or even upper or clients, but they want to work by themselves because of that trust issue. Yes. And because they have this eat what you kill competitive thing. Yes. Tap into that. It's just teams of peers they have problems with. They rely on teams all the time. Yeah. No, you're, abso you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So one of the things that has connected us is the corporate wellness and I just want to spend a moment or two um, getting your thoughts on, because I know you, you said earlier in our, uh, on the top of the hour, um, the role and how you train to become a personal trainer. Uh, and now it's interesting to me because I have a personal interest in corporate wellness seems to be finally um, kind of moving, trending into um, contemporary workplaces, even law firms. Um, but can you speak for a moment about what you've seen or what you view 
as the role of uh, corporate wellness, body, mind, spirit, whatever, um, and how that helps um, high stress environments such as law firms. Yeah, so I'm cautiously optimistic as well with this. Back in 1996, the Surgeon General of the United States put out a report on preventative medicine and wellness that said this has to stop. And lots of people started to make the arguments that it'll save money for health care and health insurance. And that's why we should do it. And then nothing happened. Um, mm-hmm. What we have now that's different is this focus on wellness and mental well-being. That's what I call uh, body, business, and soul. That, mm-hmm. yes, we can work 60, 70, 80 hours. But if we have a heart attack at age 45 or three divorces by then, who cares? I mean, anybody right. can stack it all on one side, you know, or work out all day and lose their job, you know. Right, you have right. to be able to balance those three things. And the fact that it's being related to a happy, healthy, engaged workforce and a happy life at home and a personal mental well-being instead of just compensating people from being miserable, it might catch this time. Um, and I do believe that because of these accelerating demands of clients and technology, um, We have come to a tipping point where people cannot work hard enough to keep up. It will destroy their health and also their relationships and just their own mental well-being. So I I think the stakes are different this time. Uh, We are seeing these markers where people just don't want to be this unhappy anymore. And I think they will start migrating to firms that want people to use teams to take the load off of individuals use technology to make better decisions and faster decisions and not rely on just sticking someone in office, paying them lots of money and say, hey, you're being well compensated, stop your complaining. Because we already see diverse attorneys, female attorneys, millennials making the choice to not do this anymore. And that is dealing with this body and soul issue, not the business issue. So we can't fix the business issue without doing the other two. Correct, correct. so you, you, I know, um, work a lot in team collaboration um, and you bring that to the workplaces that you work with uh, and you counsel and, and, and guide folks on. So can you speak to, um, for our listeners, um, about how to um, understand more about uh, developing collaborative cultures? Yeah, so collaboration is really about how do we bring together a team to get results. It's not to communicate more, have a, you know, 30 or 40 people in a room and all share information. It's how do we get something done? That's what collaboration is about. So team building sometimes where we just gather people isn't effective because there's no purpose for it. So uh, teams are best rallied around a project, a client, a matter, something that we want to change, where we want to be innovative and create results. Anything other than that, you just need a group. And to collaborate, we need a team that's not too big, so everybody has a role. There's role clarity. We're all in line with goals, and we can handle conflict okay. And once we have those things, then we can start creating ownership of who has what piece and moving forward, and we create those trust moments uh, through that. And part of that is doing the work together or simulating the work together, uh, but also getting to know what each person's strength is and why if I rely on that person to do that piece of it and trust that they'll do it, 
I will get more done than doing it myself. So the big part about collaboration is linking it to a result and tracking it. So you do assessments in the beginning and the end. You work on key team performance indicators. We've identified 14 that are essential. And um, then work with the team as a system. You train the leaders, but you also have to coach the team as a system because you can have all the most talented people in the world on a team and have horrible results. Just insert your favorite sports team here. <laughs> it doesn't right. really matter. Um, it's the team uh, that has to accomplish it because individuals, they can only take so much. Organizations, too big to change really quickly. Teams, you can change instantaneously if you have the formula right of how to make them collaborate. Um, very interesting, collaborative, um, and I can speak to you know lawyers and law firms best Lawyers are a cynical group of people. They're trained to be that way. They're trained to pull things apart, you know, in the litigation process. Where's the wink link? Where, you know, how, what, how can you make the best argument? So how, how does what you're training, you know, the collaborative, developing collaborative cultures in a, in a law firm setting, um, meeting up with very cynical, skeptical lawyers and law firm leadership, mm -hmm. What does that look like? So I, I, I think the cynicism sometimes and, you know, to go against the conventional wisdom a bit here, um, you know, we do all these surveys about lawyers and we're risk averse and they're this way, they're that way. I, I think there's an element that our environments make them that way. They yes. are um, being put in environments where they have these incredible pressures and being yelled at to produce and perform. So they become risk averse. They become mm -hmm. ways that way. You know, we are creating this. So helping to deal with that culture is part of the issue. Um, mm -hmm. But the fact is, is if you had the big, huge matter for Exxon Mobil and it required 15 lawyers to work on it, you collaborate just fine. If we had a major merger going on between two firms, we have to put a team together to deal with that. We collaborate just fine. But some, for some reason, uh, when it comes to business development or just churning out the hours, People have this cynicism that I won't get compensated or someone will steal my client or say something stupid to the client and ruin my relationship. That cynicism sometimes doesn't apply when we're required to do teams. It's when we have a choice. And so we have to continue to show people why working as teams always gets better results for innovation and better results for the client. Now, there's some things that if I'm the expert in the world on, no one else should do it but me. But if that client wants to do a big merger and that requires merging two labor forces together and I'm not a labor lawyer, I have no choice but to collaborate. We have to change that mentality that the client gets better results through collaboration. And if we take the client's point of view, solve the whole business problem, not just the legal matter, I think that will change that cynicism. Uh, doing it because it's the right thing to do is idealistic. I don't think it's realistic saying that the client is demanding it and that collaboration is the new primary currency of clients, that will change minds. Um, and so when you introduce these concepts in a work environments, professional services firms, um, I'm just curious um, how, how you introduce that and to what extent, you know, um, you get people kind of on board I mean, what, when they ask the what's in it for me, you know, what's the bottom line um, benefit that you've seen over and again? So one of the key things to do is immersion, just like learning a new language or whatever. If you want to tell someone that 
um, they're going to have to learn piano and, and do it well. Tell them they're going to have a concert in 30 days. Then they'll really try to learn. But the way that we do it, like in workshops and uh, team, uh, team collaboration, team dynamics, is um, probably within 15 to 30 minutes of starting something, I'll just ask them. It's like, so you deal with client issues all the time, right? Yeah, we do. Um, challenging ones, dealing with A, B, and C? Yes. All right, let's do a simulated one right now. And we give them one that I'll pull something right off their website, a deal that they did, and I'll change a couple of the variables, but it's a real deal they have to. And you put them in the simulation where they're doing it against actors uh, that will bring in to do that or on video. And you watch them um and ah, and I don't know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And you say, well, this is what you do every day. Well, we weren't prepared or we didn't do this. Or that. It's like, oh, okay. It illustrates that this could happen tomorrow these things right and by immersing them in real situations and then putting them in teams to see how it's easier to do it they go oh now i see what you mean so do it that that is a very important training technique this immersion technique that a lot of people don't do is concepts and 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 tips and tricks and stuff are really great but if i can't apply them i don't know how to use them you put them in that first it identifies what they need to learn, and now they're more apt to learn and listen. Gotcha. And that, and that makes perfect sense. We often find um, that when we do role-playing or simulation, um, we never really, well, never, we rarely get many volunteers. Um, and then um, there's a lot of silence in the room when we are simulating business development, conver- just conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, even from this most senior, you know, attorneys, they do stumble and stammer all over themselves because it's certainly um, not something that they practice. As you said, they don't practice like they're practicing for a recital um, and they really haven't developed a process around that. Um, so which brings me to a question. So in developing collaborative cultures, you know, are there um, do you give homework assignments? I mean, how how do you reach that deliberative practice in the team building um, scenario? So there are, you know, realistic constraints on the resources of coaches and trainers and leaders in the organization to do this. You, you can't rely on that all the time. It can't be once every 30 days, we're going to think about this in practice. Uh, right. The way to do that, and we found that from studying astronauts and fire teams and all of this is, um, is these subgroups. And so if you have groups of three to four of people of equal abilities, that you're giving assignments to work on with each other, um, they tend to practice on each other and they'll push each other more than with their manager, their coach, or their external consultant um, because they're peers. Um, it's, it's critical to put the people of like ability together because if you have a dominant person, the other people in the group think, oh, I'll never be that good. Why even try? If you right. let people do it by themselves or just with a buddy, they'll convince each other that they don't have time. But once you put people in pods, is what we call them, performance pods of three to four, mm-hmm. somebody in that group is always going to be the, hey, teacher, you forgot to give us homework. Um, mm-hmm. That happens. So you want this happening the other 29 days of the month. It's right. self-managed performance improvement by performance pods. So when we get together as a team, um, we can move forward and not just always be recapping. Given that that's that's... <clears throat> very insightful um, and I'm sure it's, it's based on um, your experience and um, and how you've encountered 
professionals over time. And I'm just curious, do you, when you begin this work, do you do any type of personality assessment type or anything like that to understand more clearly, you know, how to develop the pods or the, the, the teams together or do they self-identify? So um, I, I go back and forth on it, to be honest with you. I, I think there's a lot of use to doing disc profiles, Myers-Briggs, a lot of things out there about individuals. Mm -hmm. What I've found is sometimes they give the illusion of completion that now that I know this, we're all set. This person's a director type, this person's, you know, whatever. Um, that is the beginning of a process. And we might want to build our teams that way or be aware of it. But some people look at that, rub their chins and say, oh, that's very interesting. And they're done. And that's <laughs> part of the problem. Um, so I have used those in the past. Um, what I do like to see, though, is, you know, sometimes we're just kind of stuck with the people we got. Uh, right. I can't get rid of these people. So what I know <laughs> about them you know, is sometimes good, sometimes not. So what I'll do is, all right, who has to work together? Um, we're trying to build a team between litigation and corporate and blend our New York offices. Okay. Um, so that's the team. So we do diagnosis on the team itself. Uh, we will do assessments um, mm -hmm. that we've done with um, Team Coaching International, over 20,000 teams, 4,000 organizations around the world. And we assess the team as it stands. Um, yes, the individuals are different, but we're kind of stuck with this team. So they got to work together, uh, whether we like it or not. Right. So we assess the teams. If there are particular people that we can't figure out, sometimes we assess personally just those to see what the problem is. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so there are two ways to do it. And I'm not, uh, I just, I tend to test the team first because that's quite on what the reality of what I have to work with. Uh, sure. Knowing why they don't get along sometimes doesn't help me as much as trying to figure out ways to do it. Gotcha. So, um, in the last, you know, let's say last five or 10 years, have you seen much movement um, with the clients that you've been engaged to work with um, to greater receptivity? I, I think about the Great Recession and, you know, from 2008-10 and how it really has more strikingly become a buyer's market and the pressure really has heated up on business generation for lawyers individually. But do you see, you know, the work that you're doing um, inside high level professional services firms or, um, you know, medical would be part of that, um, where there is some shift in mindset that makes your work maybe a little bit more easier or give you a glimmer of hope and optimism? Yeah, um, it is. You know, it's easy to be cynical with all this because say, oh, well, it's just how it is. The fact is, we have changed a lot since the Great Recession. Um, yeah. We have, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, we rely on technology extremely. I mean, you type in uh, something into Lexus Advance or, you know, Westlaw Next. Um, the fact is, is that the computer's doing a lot of the searching and prioritizing of your results for you. Whether we like to admit it or not, they are. And so we have changed a bit. We rely on technology. We're much bigger on efficiency and productivity. Uh, tracking expenses, you know, sharing information. So, so we have changed. The part of it that's the next part is this reliance on uh, trust and between people um, to do that. And what we've seen is actually looking to medical is a really good predictor of law oh. because it's very similar with that. Back about 15, 20 years ago, I remember very distinctly 
when the first time that uh, medical used to start sending MRI results and X or X-ray readings overseas to be processed by doctors in foreign countries with a 12 hour time difference and say, how dare you? How dare we do stuff like that? These people aren't trained here, whatever. And now it's so commonplace that everybody does it. Right. And that we're starting to see that kind of stuff with laws as well. Outsourcing things to other people within my firm, to smaller firms, to legal process outsourcers. We are starting to trust others to do parts of the work. Yes. So that is my glimmer of hope. The other glimmer of hope is we have reached the limit of how many hours we can expect people to work and right. be happy and engaged. And right. then also... Um, this we're burning out our best people. So we're going to start losing more and more people to the profession. And we're just extracting the joy out of it. We must change. This is the time to do it. Yes. And it's not going to be, how do we squeeze more dollars out of this? Or how do we manage this project differently? You have to do those things, but eventually it comes to people. And the way to make people exponential is to put them on teams. That's how you raise the realization rates on the performance of people as well as the realization rates at your firm. Gotcha. I, I, you're absolutely right. And, and I know that you and I see all the time the, uh, all the um, articles and the reports and the studies of what's going on in these law firms with the, um, what was it, the, the head of, was it Baker McKenzie that he yep. stepped aside for, um, he, out of exhaustion? Yes. Uh, which was interesting. I mean, it wasn't that just fascinating from a, you know, sociology perspective that that was news. Yes. And an admission of vulnerability. Right. And I think um, there's some great books by uh, Brené Brown, um, you know, on vulnerability. Yes. Um, that I encourage everybody to read because that is the, that is the key to trust is vulnerability to mm -hmm. be able to look over to the guy next to you and the lady next to you and say, I can't handle this right now. Can you take this part? I promise I'll make it up to you. I'll do, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Sure. And we do that in our lives all the time, but we get in these ultra competitive environments and think it makes us look weak. Yes. What makes us weak is making ourselves do it all ourselves. We can't do it. Right. Um, and so that's what I hope to see. That's the glimmer of hope. Um, when we see and one thing I'll mention just as an aside, we spend a lot of time talking about, um, how law firms are different or uh, also how millennials are different in firms. And I think this is something for people to think about. When we think about our millennial lawyers, about how they're so different, they're not different. They're just like us. They have more choices today. They don't have to work themselves to the bone. They can switch jobs every two years and it doesn't matter. There's lots of options from working from home or co-sharing. If we don't choose to do them at our law firm, it's our fault. They're not different. We're just being stubborn. And I think us 30 years ago, if we had all the options we did today, we would demand the same things. Exactly. So okay. it, it's a it's a shift. Millennials are telling us we need to change the culture. We yeah. need to be more team oriented. We need to pay attention to body, business and soul. And if we don't do it, they will leave. And then eventually they'll change the culture. But after a lot of hardship along the way. Well, this has been a very, very very fascinating conversation, Daryl. And I, I, I know our listeners are, are sitting close to their, their desk, uh, leaning in, listening and, and hanging on every word because it's so steeped in, you know, your deep research and the common, you know, a lot of your professional journey and your work. 
Um, but it's so essential <clears throat> that I think that, you know, Everyone um, who listens to us today, whether they're in legal or medical or insurance or, you know, running a car body shop down the street is the essential concept of, you know, working as a team can be accomplished more than as an individual. That may sound simplistic, you know, but we've all experienced or I would say many of us in the in a, in a profession have experienced where we're reaching, where we've hit the wall that we cannot get any more productivity out of ourselves and looking for an, another way. Um, and so you've given us some extraordinarily enlightening and uplifting insights into, um, you know, what science and, and your um, research and uh, field experience has proven to be true uh, across other professions. And so I, I want to wrap up our conversation today with two questions um, for you. And this is, um, if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would that be? Actually, something that very, very specifically that goes with this. Rely on your peers more often. Yeah. Uh, they are not gunning for your failure or yeah. observing your failures as much as you think they are. They probably are having just as many challenges as you are. And by reaching out to your peers, instead of just your subordinates or your mentors, reach out to your peers, you'll get ahead faster than you would on your own. Oh, my gosh. That's 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 so incredible. Um, and secondly, thank you. Thank you for that. That is just like it just gives us all permission to be vulnerable um, because no one really ever does. Right. In these environments, no one gives us permission to say, I, I just can't get this done right now. Yeah, um, we, we, t we talked to, um, you know, a gentleman, uh, one of our guys on my board of advisors is Captain Chris Cassidy. He's an astronaut, NASA, former chief astronaut, former Navy SEAL. The fact is, is that uh, he goes up with two Russian cosmonauts that barely speak English and Chris doesn't know how to fly. So the fact is the level of trust that it goes on every time he goes up is astounding. And I think if he can do that, I can reach out to a peer on email every now and then. Not that big of a deal. <laughs> Um, and so we certainly want our listeners to, to benefit, um, you know, and be able to uh, con connect you with, you know, with their companies, et cetera. So if you would, please provide our listeners with the best way to connect with you. Yeah, if they want to send me an e email, they can do so at dcross at lawvision.com. Uh, also, at Daryl Cross, D-A-R-R-Y-L-C-R-O-S-S -S, on Twitter. Um, and I'm happy for any LinkedIn uh, requests that we get out there. I'm happy to start a conversation. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Daryl. This has been so enlightening, and we greatly appreciate your time and your expertise and your um, your generosity um, for sharing, uh, you know, your life's work. Um, I'm always very uplifted and energized uh, speaking with individuals and experts like yourself because you can just you ooze that energy, that positive energy. Uh, the passion is so um, obvious um, and, and like a lot of things that I do similarly to you, um, you know, it's like we truly, really, really want our clients to succeed. I, I appreciate the passion you bring and your your clients so must be very lucky to have this kind of uh, connection. Uh, and this kind of content from you. So thank you for including me. Thank you so much and all the best. As to you. Bye-bye.